Chapter nineteen of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter nineteen. Montboissier, August eighteen seventeen. My prison these tales completely engaged the attention of my mother and sister whilst preparing for bed and they retired to rest almost dying with fear i went to my turret the cook retired to the great tower and the servants went down to their subterranean abode the window of my room opened into the inner court by day i had a view of the battlements of the opposite curtain which was covered with spleenwort and afforded sustenance to a wild plum-tree the martlets which during the summer screeched and buried themselves in the holes of the walls were my only companions by night i only saw a small portion of the sky and a few stars when the moon shone i was warned of its decline towards the west by the direction of its rays which then fell upon my bed through the lozenge panes of my window the jackdaws flying from one tower to another as they passed and repassed between myself and the moon threw the fleeting shadow of their wings upon my curtains banished to the most remote corner at the entrance of the galleries i did not lose the slightest murmur during the hours of darkness sometimes the wind appeared to course at a rapid pace sometimes it uttered melancholy wailings suddenly my door was violently shaken and the vaults of the castle sent forth their howlings anon the noise gradually subsided only to recommence anew at four o'clock the voice of the master of the castle calling his valet de chambre at the entrance to the cellars sounded like the last phantom of the departing night this voice served me as a substitute for that sweet harmony by the sound of which the father of montaigne awaked his son the obstinacy of count chateaubriand in forcing a child to sleep alone at the summit of a tower might have been attended with evil consequences but it turned out to my advantage this violent manner of treating me left me the courage of a man without taking from me that liveliness of imagination of which people now attempt to deprive our youth instead of endeavouring to convince me that there were no ghosts i was forced to brave them when my father said to me with an ironical smile would monsieur le chevalier be afraid it would have compelled me to lie down with a corpse when my excellent mother said to me my son nothing happens without the permission of god you have nothing to fear from evil spirits as long as you are a good christian i gained much greater confidence than i could have derived from all the arguments of philosophy my success was so complete that the night winds in my solitary tower merely served as the sport of my caprices and as wings to my dreams my imagination once kindled extended to everything around but nowhere found sufficient aliment it could have devoured heaven and earth such is the moral condition which i must now endeavour to describe plunging again into the days of my youth i am about to try and recall myself from the past to exhibit myself such as i was such perhaps as i regret being no longer in spite of the torments i then endured transition from youth to manhood i had scarcely returned from brest to combourg when a revolution took place in my existence the boy disappeared and the man came into view with his joys that flee away and his vexations which remain at first everything within me became passion whilst awaiting the passions themselves when after a silent dinner during which i had not dared either to speak or eat the moment arrived when i could escape my delight was incredible it was impossible to go leisurely down the steps i was eager to bound down at a leap i was obliged to sit down on one of the steps to allow my agitation to subside but i had no sooner gained the green lawn in the woods than i began to run leap and bound 
to skip and enjoy myself till i fell down exhausted panting and intoxicated with exultation and freedom my father took me shooting with him a taste for the chase seized upon me and i carried it to excess i still see before me the very field where i killed my first hare in autumn i have often remained four or five hours up to the middle in water watching for wild ducks by the banks of a pond even till this hour i cannot remain free from excitement when a dog scents game my first ardour for the chase developed a spirit of independence and it was my custom to clear the ditches to stride over the fields to traverse marshes and brushwood to be alone with my gun in a desert place in solitude and power in my excursions i often went on so far that i could no longer walk and the keepers were obliged to convey me home on a couch of branches woven together the pleasures of the chase however no longer sufficed i was urged on by a desire of happiness which i could neither regulate nor understand my mind and my heart at length became like two empty temples without altars or sacrifice and no one knew yet what god was to be adored i grew up with my sister lucille our friendship constituted the whole of our lives lucille lucille was tall and her beauty was remarkable but grave her face was pale and shaded by long black hair she often fixed her eyes upon heaven or whilst walking cast around glances full of sadness or fire her gait her voice her smile her physiognomy gave the impression of a dreamy suffering mind lucille and i were mutually useless when we spoke of the world it was of the world within us and which bore but a very small resemblance to the reality she looked upon me as her protector and i upon her as my friend gloomy thoughts often found access to her mind which i found it difficult to drive away at seventeen she deplored the loss of her early years she wished to bury herself in a cloister everything became a source of anxiety vexation and pain a mere expression which she sought or a chimera which she had formed tormented her for whole months i have often seen her in a reverie motionless and apparently lifeless with one arm flung over her head withdrawn towards her heart life exhibited no outward manifestation and even her bosom ceased to heave in her attitude her melancholy and her gracefulness she resembled a funereal genius in such cases i endeavoured to console her and a moment after i myself fell into the depths of inexplicable despair lucile towards the evening left to indulge alone in some pious reading the oratory of her predilection was the branching of two country roads marked by a stone cross and by a poplar whose lofty stem shot up to heaven my pious mother charmed with her daughter said that she reminded her of a christian of the primitive church performing her devotions at the station called laura this concentration of soul produced extraordinary effects in my sister's mind whilst asleep she had prophetic dreams and when awake she appeared to read the future on a landing-place of the stairs of the great tower there hung a clock which beat time to silence in her visionary moods lucile was accustomed to sit down on a step opposite to this clock she looked at the dial by the light of her lamp placed on the ground when the two hands came together at midnight and by their formidable conjunction gave birth to the hour of disorder and crime lucile heard noises which revealed to her distant enormities being in paris some days after the tenth of august and residing with my other sisters in the neighbourhood of the carmelite convent she cast her eyes upon a looking-glass uttered a cry and said i have just seen death entering in the wilds of scotland she would have been such a gifted woman as is described by walter scott endowed with second sight in the fastnesses of bretagne she was only a female hermit possessing beauty and genius and afflicted by misfortune first breath of the muse the life which was led by my sister and myself at combourg promoted the advancement of our age and our characters our principal recreation consisted in walking side by side on the great mall in spring 
on a carpet of primroses in autumn on beds of withered foliage and in winter on a covering of snow ornamented by the tracks of birds squirrels and ermines young like the primroses sad like the dry leaves and pure as the new-fallen snow there was a harmony between our recreations and ourselves during one of these walks lucile heard me speak with enthusiasm of solitude and said you should describe all that this word revealed to me the muse a divine breathing fell upon me i began to lisp verses as if poetry was my natural language by day and by night i sang about my pleasures that is my woods and my dales i composed a multitude of short idylls or pictures of nature i wrote a long time in verse before i began to write in prose m de fontaine maintained that i had received both gifts has this talent which friendship foresaw for me been ever really mine what things have i vainly expected in the agamemnon of aeschylus a slave is placed as sentinel on the top of the palace at argos his eyes are strained to discover the concerted signal of the return of the ships he sang to solace the weariness of his watch but the hours flew on and the stars set and no signal torch blazed when after many years its tardy light appeared over the waves the slave was bent under the weight of years and the chorus said to him that an old man is like a shadow wandering about in the light of day lucille's manuscript in the first enchantment of inspiration i invited lucille to imitate me we passed days in mutual consultation in communicating to each other what we had done and what we purposed to do we undertook works in common guided by our instincts we translated the most beautiful and most sorrowful passages of job and of lucretius on life as the tedet animum meum vita mea the hominatus de mulieri the tamporo puer ut saevis projectus ab undis navita etc lucile's thoughts were all sentiments she stepped beyond the bounds of her own soul with difficulty but when she succeeded in expressing her thoughts they were incomparable she left behind her about thirty pages of manuscript it is impossible to read them without deep emotion the elegance sweetness imaginativeness and impassioned sensibility of these pages present a combination of greek and german genius morning what a mild radiance has just lighted up the east is it the young morning which is opening upon the world her beautiful eyes heavy with the languor of sleep haste charming goddess leave the nuptial couch assume thy purple robe let a soft girdle confine its folds let no sandals press thy delicate feet let no ornament profane thy beautiful hands made to open the portals of day but thou art even now rising over the shady hills thy golden hair falls in humid ringlets on thy rosy neck a pure and perfumed breath is exhaled from thy mouth tender deity all nature smiles at thy presence thou only sheddest tears and flowers spring forth the moon chaste goddess goddess so pure that not even the roses of modesty mingle with thy tender light i venture to make thee the confidant of my sentiments i have no cause any more than thou to blush for my own heart but sometimes the remembrance of the unjust and blind judgments of men obscure my brow with clouds even like thine and on the errors and miseries of this world my thoughts turn as on thee but happier than i thou dweller in the heavens always preservest thy serenity the tempests and storms which spring up from this globe of ours glide over thy peaceful disk o goddess indulgent to my sadness pour thy cold repose into my soul innocence daughter of heaven lovely innocence if i might dare to attempt feebly to portray some of thy features i would say that thou occupiest the place of virtue to youth of wisdom to manhood of beauty to old age and of happiness to misfortune 
that a stranger to our errors thou sheddest only pure tears and that thy smile is all heavenly beautiful innocence what dangers surround thee envy aims at thee all her darts wilt thou tremble with fear modest innocence wilt thou try to shelter thyself from the dangers which threaten thee no i see thee quite calm asleep thy head supported on an altar my brother sometimes devoted a few brief moments to the hermits of combourg he was accustomed to bring with him a young counsel of the parliament of bretagne named m de malfilatre cousin to the unfortunate poet of the same name i believe lucile had unconsciously contracted a secret passion for my brother's friend and that this passion stifled in her heart was at the bottom of her melancholy she was besides subject to rousseau's mania without his pride she believed that all the world had conspired against her she came to paris in seventeen eighty nine accompanied by that sister julia whose loss she deplored with a sadness bearing the impress of sublimity she was admired by all who knew her from monsieur de malesherbes to chamfort having been thrown into the revolutionary crypts at rennes she was on the point of being again shut up in the castle of combourg which had been used as a prison during the reign of terror being delivered from prison she married monsieur de caux who left her a widow at the end of a year on my return from my emigration i again saw the friend of my youth and i shall relate how she disappeared when it pleased god to afflict me End of chapter nineteen